I, I just, I, I felt like I wanted to, to just sort of affirm what Jen said there at the end of, of worship and, and Carlin, what you were saying too, and, and that is, and, and I'll tie it into where we're going this morning, but I do think that we, we were, there was spiritual warfare going on here. There is spiritual warfare going on here right now. I don't think that it's a surprise at all considering what, where we're going today in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, and so if you were feeling that, and I was feeling that as well, that, you know, we, the Bible talks about we don't battle flesh and blood, but there is demonic forces that are working and want to seek to infiltrate and work and cause confusion and bring all sorts of destruction. And so when that happens, you know, we, I, I don't know if, as you were sensing that this morning, were you looking at the lyrics of what we were singing and what we were declaring this morning? It, it, there was a lot of things we were declaring that is going to rile up the enemy. And so sometimes there's, we need to have an awareness of that and go, Jesus is bigger, Jesus is greater, and we're going to keep declaring who he is. So I, I don't know where that's going to go this morning, um, but I thank you, uh, wherever Jen is, for, for just um, being bold enough to share that, because I think that we were sensing that this morning. So we are in 1 Corinthians 10 this morning. You know, I, um, I got um, these, these new orthotic uh, replacements this week. You can't see them, but they're, they're in my, my boots. And I, I had had these other orthotics um, that I'd bought a, a couple years ago at Mountain Equipment Co-op. Someone had recommended them, and they were really affordable like compared to what you can pay. And they made a profound difference, like right off the hop in, in, for me. Like my hamstrings, my lower back, I was like, wow, these are amazing. And, uh, and I think they're, like, they're only like 50 bucks, which is like for orthotics is, is affordable. And so I've had them for the last two years. I wear them in everything. I transfer them between my footwear, my one pair. And, but I've been noticing over the last year, like they've been getting severely worn down. Just like, and, and they, were, they have plastic here and the, the plastic was cracked. And, and, and every, like for a few months, I was like, I should really probably go and replace my orthotics. But I was like, well, you know... It, there's always something else to spend money on. And so I was like, well, I don't really want to spend it. And so kept going on, going on, and ne- never doing anything. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go downtown and get them. And, you know, all the excuses, right? And then in the last couple of weeks, finally, I began to realize, like, my lower back was starting to hurt more. And I was, and I was, de- and I was dealing with some stuff in my hamstrings. And I was like, hold on a second. Like, this is, these, this is these common things that I was feeling before I had orthotics. And so... I went this week and I, I got a new pair and like right away I put them in and I was like, why in the world did I wait so long? Like why did I wait probably a good year? And then I, I read the package and the package said that they were only good for about a year or so. Every year you should be replacing them. I'm like, oh, that, sure. So, but you know, the reason that I didn't, I was thinking of this, is it's just this mentality of like, well, I can just get by. Like, like, it'll be fine. I can just get by. I don't have to replace them. And we can live like that in our lives. We can live like that in a variety of things, in a variety of, even in our relationship with the Lord, we're just kind of like we're just going through life and we kind of live in the, I'm just getting by. Meanwhile, God's invitation 
is that we would come into his fullness and into his goodness and all of it that he has for us. And when we encounter, when we encounter God's fullness, when we encounter his goodness, when you get a glimpse, when you get an encounter with God, when you experience him, it's like, okay, that's the unbelievable difference. That's what I was missing. And I want to I put to us this morning that God's word invites us into that time and time again. This is, this is the gift of scripture, and certainly this morning, that it is given to us for our instruction. It points us to the way of God. How do we live? How do we approach situations? How do we make decisions? All of it, all of it is in here. And so 1 Corinthians 10 is that kind of chapter. It's, it's actually really, really practical. It points us to the truth of that scripture has been given to us to help us live. And it points us to this fundamental truth. We can build our lives around this. We can build our lives upon this and we can build our lives for this. And what 1 Corinthians 10 says that is, is we can live upon and for God's glory. That's it, full stop. Do all to God's glory. And so that's what we're, where we're going to go this morning, talking about all to the glory of God. And I want to I provide a, a kind of a brief framework of the chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, if you've read it, it's, I think, 33 verses long. It's big. It's a long chapter, so we're not going to read all of it. Um, but I want to I look at some things to help us to understand the intentional examples that are put forth in the chapter about Israel. Paul kind of talks about the Israelites and they're being used as parallels, if you will, that where he's ultimately they're pointing us to this purpose that we are to have lives that are being lived out for the glory of God. That that is the purpose of scripture. It's the purpose of of what God has for us. So I want to do that and I want to draw three implications uh, for us from, from actually the end of the chapter for, for how we live to the glory of God. So, mentioned in, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 10 are these specific examples with the Israelites that, that happened after their exodus from Egypt, after God had brought them out. And we're told that they serve as our examples or uh, instruction for us. And, and really, what Paul's getting at here to the Corinthians, and by looking back at this, he's saying, don't live divided lives. And that's what he's saying to us. Do not live your life in compartments. Don't live divided in anything. Now, so this is is where the whole thing of of gospel clarity amidst cultural confusion and, and the series in Corinthians comes into focus. Because a godless culture will not understand why you don't go along with the norms of society. They will not understand it. And in case you, you, you're not sure, we live, we are living in a godless culture right now. Like largely a godless culture. And, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, just think about this. Our culture does not affirm Jesus is Lord. God is not at the center of most people's lives. They are not orientating their lives around God. Scripture is not being held as authoritative over lives. There's no biblical 
eternal mindset. There's no biblical mindset or worldview largely in culture. It is a godless culture. Now, we're very spiritual though. People say, I'm very spiritual, so don't, don't, don't get those two confused. People say, lots of spirituality, but it's godless. It's godless as the Bible says we're called to live. And so, if you're living out this, if you're going to try and live this out in this culture, people are going to look at you and go, I don't understand you. I don't get why you're making that choice or this decision. Why are you living to this? That, that is where we're at. So don't be surprised if people look at you sideways sometimes and go, that's where we're at with culture. We are in a confused culture. And so living, having this mindset, I am doing all to the glory of God. That people will, will if you say that, people will go, what are you talking about? I'm living for my pleasure. I'm living for me. I'm living for my family. I'm like living for God's glory. What are you, what are you talking about? So we shouldn't, when we talk about this, we shouldn't expect this to be understood. I, I certainly don't expect people to understand this. But here's the key. Don't allow that to change the way that you live. Because if you're going to live according to how culture wants to form you and shape you, you will not live according to this. You will live according to all sorts of different paradigms and all sorts of different viewpoints. But you won't live according to this. We want to live to this. So, now you go, how, how does this relate to what happened to the Israelites 3,500 years ago? Because that's where Paul's going here. Like, he's talking about events that happened 35-ish hundred years ago. As the Israelites were called out, they were God's people, called out by God. In the same way, Paul's saying, you have been called out. You are God's people. You have been called out. You've been called out of the world. You've been transferred into the kingdom of light. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. You're called out. We are God's people. Therefore, you think, you live, you act differently, he says. You're in Christ. You're not in the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You're in Christ. So he's, and then, and so he's lived by the Spirit, it's a big thing for Paul. Live by the Spirit. All right. Let's read the first few verses here. 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. Paul says, for. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for a second. He says, he starts 1 Corinthians 10 with for. What that is, it's pointing back to, he's saying, in light of what I just said, where at the end of chapter 9, he's talking about, I don't want to be disqualified. I want my life to count for God. I want to be committed to pursuing what God has for me and all that. I'm not going to get into that. He's saying, in light of that, this is why I'm saying this. Four, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud 
And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Okay. So, lots of interesting imagery here that Paul is using. And there's, there's parallels that he's using here. He's showing the parallel between Moses and Jesus. So he's saying, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. So what he's saying, he's actually using this picture of baptism. Of Baptism is this picture of God's people voluntarily and unconditionally. They were placing themselves under Moses' leadership. They weren't actually baptized into Moses, but they were, they were under Moses. They had placed themselves under Moses' leadership. And so what he's saying is, when you are baptized into Christ... You're putting yourself under the authority of Christ. This is how you're called to live. And so then he talks about spiritual food and spiritual drink there. He's talking about manna. Manna was the, um, the food that God sent down for his people from heaven. It was given by, to them by God, supplied to them. Um, you read about that in Exodus 16 and 17. And, and what Paul's saying here is, yes, like God provided for them, he also provided water from a rock for them, right? That's Exodus 17. He's saying those physical things that God provided, there's a spiritual component to them as well for us. There was a, a spiritual component to the physical provision. There was this nourishing relationship with God that was happening. And, and he even says, that's what he says there, that this water from the rock, he's saying that rock, it wasn't like physically Christ, right? Jesus wasn't like in the rock, but he's saying that there was divine origin of God's provision in that water that came to his people. So all this, just to kind of, kind of help us to understand, is that when he talks about the cloud and the sea, the cloud was referring to this cloud that went above God's people in the wilderness. It says God's presence was in the cloud that followed them. Cloud by day, what was by night? Fire. Okay, so God's presence was in the cloud. His presence was in the fire. He was with his people. So it's, he's talking about how God was with his people. And then the sea, he's talking about when God parted the Red Sea. He actually physically parted the sea to save his people from the Egyptians. All of this is pointing, he's saying, this is pointing to the people's allegiance to the Lord as his people. They were definitely God's people. But then, things didn't go well. God wasn't pleased. Why? It says, because they chose to live as they saw fit. Read what it says now in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So the, all those verses there, they're, they're referring 
to specific accounts in the Old Testament. Worshipping of the golden calf, mass sexual immorality with the Moabite people, worshipping other gods, grumbling against the Lord, grumbling against their leaders. It was, it was just the standard sort of stuff. Sexual sin, idolatry, coveting, grumbling, complaining, just lots of unpleasant stuff. And you can go back and you can read all those accounts that Paul's referencing in the Old Testament. Just lots of just nasty stuff that God's people did and they didn't follow him. And Paul says, all that stuff is given to you to serve as examples. He's saying, so you wouldn't desire the same sin in your life. What Paul's saying here to the Corinthians is, you, you and the Israelites both received blessings, but that is not the same as entering into the privilege and the responsibility of those blessings. There's something inherently different about that. Because the danger is to live in relationship with God on our terms. We'll, we'll take God, we, we're okay with that, but we want it on our terms. According to our desires, what suits us? Being in Christ, Paul says though, means that we've entered into allegiance with Jesus. That there's something profoundly different that's happened to you. He's saying you are to live differently. You're not to live like that. All right, let's go on. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. That's us as well. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What Paul saw happening in Corinth is what, the same thing that we see still happening in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And, and it, it's a danger that can repeat itself. And that is that we are vulnerable Paul's saying, take heed, don't like pay attention, lest you enter into those sorts of things. So this is why understanding verse 13 here is so important. Because we can misunderstand this verse. Where we can go, where it says there, no temptation is, has overtaken you, that it's not common to man. And so we can take that to mean, I've just got to overcome temptation in my life. I've just, I, there's... I've just got to somehow stand strong against temptation. Yes, but it's not so much that as overcoming the force of sin's attractiveness in our lives. It's deeper than just that. It's deeper than just standing strong. It's will you come through that with more dependence and more faith in the living God? Will you come through temptation and go, I am standing in the faithfulness of God. So it's not about, and here's the difference, it's not about self-sufficiency. We would like it to be about self-sufficiency. You would probably really, really like this to actually be about self-sufficiency. I can do it. I'm going to do it. That's what, we like, that's what we like to hear. We like to hear that I can do it. Somehow I will will myself to do this because that's how we're conditioned to live. You're conditioned to live out of your resources. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. 
This, this is about cultivating reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is something very, very different. This is the fuel, cultivating the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the fuel in your life for self-discipline. You want self-discipline? Cultivate the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The message has a really interesting translation um, of this verse that I really like. They say, it says they're cultivate God confidence. Now think about that. Paul's referencing back here to the Israelites. Why? Because he's saying to the people, look at what God brought them out of. Look at what God brought them through. That is your confidence. God is faithful. You're wondering, you're questioning, I don't know if God's faithful in my life. Look at what God did, Paul's saying. Look at what he did with his people. That is how you cultivate God confidence in your life. How? You read this. Right? Let's get excited. Read this. You cultivate God confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay to be loud and boisterous, folks. I know we're in a Mennonite community. It's okay. Okay? Yes. It says there that God has provided a way of escape for us. You know what's interesting? The Greek word there for way of escape is almost the exact same word as for Exodus. Paul's making a point. He's saying, as God brought his people out, he is going to bring you through. It, will it cultivate in you God-reliance? It's not about you. It's about God seeing you through. And it's really encouraging. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on you. You can trust God. If you're going through something, God will bring you through. He knows what you're going through. Cultivate God confidence by believing his word. That it doesn't rely on me. Man, that is so encouraging. It really is. All right. Verse 14, it says, Therefore, okay, so Paul says, Therefore, in light of this truth, so in light of God's faithfulness, in light of his goodness, confidence in his goodness, he says, My beloved, that's a really endearing term, too, that he's using with the people. My beloved, flee from idolatry, he says. So he's saying, don't enter into things, don't participate in things that will cause you to fall. He's saying, shun it, flee from it, don't do it. Why? Because we're God's children, he says. We live differently. You've been called out. You live differently. It is practically effectual in your life. The fact that you have been called out is practically affecting how you live your life. So this is why, this is where we go. He, he kind of goes through a bunch of stuff. And then he says, verse 31, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's, what I wanna, that's where I want to spend the rest of this little bit of time. rest of this morning, I want to focus on how do we live all things for the glory of God. That, that's a really big statement, right? How do you live all things to the glory of God? 
And Paul summarizes it in verse 33, and I believe that he connects it with the rest of the chapter, and he's, even, he's actually even connecting it prior to this, because this is sort of a culmination of some things he's been building in the last few chapters. So verse 31 to 33, I'm going to read that, and then we'll get into this. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's us. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Then he says, goes on actually, and he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That, uh, he says there, as I am, be imitators of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. The interesting thing is that's actually part of the thought This is where translation, they lump that into chapter 11, and it was never meant to be part of chapter 11. That's that's the end of of his thought. And so he's actually actually concluding it by saying, be imitators of Christ. So I want to talk about three ways we live for God's glory. But first, I, I think it might be helpful to define what do we mean by God's glory? I mean, it, it's a term we throw around a lot, right? It's a phrase that we, we, we use a lot, but we need to grasp all for the glory of God. What does that mean? Because we're talking a lot about it this morning. We, we, and we get a lot of mileage. I mean, it's on the back wall, glorifying God. What, what does that mean? We, we talk about it a lot, so let's, let's break this down. I think as well, in the context of 1 Corinthians 10, it's highlighting that we don't, glorifying God is we don't send mixed messages to people about what or who we are worshiping. You're God's people. What you worship actually is your witness. And so take this seriously in your life. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. So, what do we mean when we're talking about living for the glory of God? Well, Make much of God. Bring God praise. Put the spotlight on God. means not on me. We're talking about revealing God's holiness and his goodness. We're talking about honoring God. We're talking about my my life would reflect God. That others would actually see Jesus. Bringing glory to God means that we see God, we show God as glorious. That we, we celebrate him. He's famous. We make him famous. He's acclaimed. He's, we, we see him as wonderful, as marvelous, beautiful, enjoyable, delightful, gratifying, adored, idolized. All those things. That is what it means to bring glory to God. He is the highest, highest, highest thing that we adore. He is just, he's beautiful. His beauty is beyond refrain. It's just, it's amazing who God is. That's bringing glory to God. So live for God's glory, number one. How do we do this? Live for God's glory by being others-focused. Paul says there, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. So Paul's, Paul's been coming back a lot in Corinthians to this looking after the good of others. And again, he comes back to it here. Throughout this letter, he's talking about how, he says, I'm a slave to all. I'm not wanting to make others stumble. 
he, he talks about how we were not our own, that we are, we are bought with a price. We're a slave of Christ. He, he is, throughout Corinthians, he is addressing the common problem that the Corinthians have and that we battle with. And you know what that problem is? It's my life. I can do what I want. That's the problem. That's, that's a big prob- part of the human condition. It's my life. Back off. I can do what I want. And Paul's saying, no. <laughs> if you're in Christ, I'm sorry, that doesn't hold water. That, that's not the gospel. The gospel actually changes you to become others focused. It's a definitive characteristic of being like Jesus. I think about others. So verse 14, this is what Paul's addressing with idol worship there. So again, it's idol worship in Corinth was expressed mainly through these meat sacrifices and feasts. Lots of meat, lots of worship, lots of sexual promiscuity, lots of sexual immorality. It was all mixed up. It was, just, it was a meat fest, okay? That was Corinth. Now, he's not con- what he gets into there, he's not contradicting himself earlier. He had talked about that these idols aren't actually anything. Remember him saying that earlier? He says, they're not really anything. But... Now, now he gets back into them. Okay, well, maybe you're saying, well, what does idols have to do with being others-focused? Idols in our lives will always cause us to be focused on ourselves. That's what idols do. It's all about me. They foster, it's an all-about-me attitude in a multitude of ways. Living for God's glory will foster being others-focused in your life. So this is where there were, there were those in the church in Corinth who were, they were partaking in this, this meat fest, if you will, and they thought it was no big deal. They were, they were excusing their idol worship. They were like, listen, I'm free in Christ. Paul, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. Like, I can do this, I can do that. And so they were mixing their faith in Christ with all sorts of of worldly idols. And Paul, he uses very strong language here to get their attention, although he's very relational. And and so here, he's getting their attention, but he says it, he's he's winsome. He's saying, my my beloved. Like, he's he's on one hand, he's saying, look, guys, like, I love you. Like, I love you as the church, but... Get out of sexual immorality. Get out of idolatry. He's saying shun it. And he uses the Lord's Supper as an example. And we're going to actually, I'm going to kind of just put that to the side. We'll unpack that more because we get into the Lord's Supper later in 1 Corinthians 11. But the point he makes there is the Lord's Supper is not just a, an exercise you go through. It doesn't mean anything. He's saying it's, it's a big deal. There's actually something profoundly spiritual to communion, to the Lord's Supper. It's, it's, and he's saying in the same way, idol worship, you think you can go and eat and do all this, this idol worship stuff and you think it's somehow harmless. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's, like, it's profoundly spiritual. In fact, he's saying it's demonic. You're, you're, you're actually like partaking of demonic activity. So, but we need to culturally context this for us, right? Because what, what are 21st century idols? It's, it's not this. this. This isn't, we're not dealing with going to meat fests and right but we are dealing with the idols of stuff the idols of materialism 
success, fame, popularity. The list is like endless. You can, you can just, the list of what can be an idol is, is really endless. The point is, what Paul's saying is, what we truly adore, we will worship. Whatever you adore, you will worship. Anything in our lives, anything can receive your worship. Practically anything. So if you want to assess, you go, well, I don't, what could be an idol in my life? Well, just look at what affects, directs, or influences your money, your time, and your thought life. Those are, those are probably the three that will really tell you where you're at with stuff. Now, some of you are aware, maybe not all of you, but some of you are aware, I really like, okay, love, NFL football. I really like football. And uh, immensely enjoyable. I get passionate about it. I had a team this year that I've been a fan of that did really, really well. We're not going to talk about the Super Bowl. Okay? I know some of you want to just throw that. We're not going to talk about that game. But, anyways, so I'm a Niners fan. And uh, earlier in the fall, they were playing a a very big game. Uh, It was a Sunday night game. And then a problem occurred and Dan and Julie invited us over to watch the Grey Cup with them. And honestly, in myself, I was like, you know, like I kind of want to watch the Grey Cup, but if I'm honest, I kind of want to stay home and just watch the Niners. Because it was, they were undefeated at, the, at that time. It was a big game, and I was like, and I had to make a conscious decision that it was going to be fellowship over football. I st- no, I, got, I still got to watch football, and it was, it was good but it wasn't the Niners. The point is, in, all, like, in liking and loving that and, and really enjoying that in my life, I have to constantly assess how much time, how much thought, and how much money will I put into that in my life, and is it taking a place in my life that isn't appropriate? Now, that's a, maybe you saw, that's a silly example. We all have examples that we can pull out. I mentioned last week how much I, uh, I really enjoyed Abdu Murray. Uh, he spoke at Mission Fest from Ravi Zacharias' ministry. And he, he talked there um, about, focused on how we have become a post-truth culture. And meaning that there's no more definitive truth except my truth. So there's, there's lots of truth now, but it's, it's my truth. And so when we, he, he talked about how when we talk about freedom, we're actually not talking about freedom anymore. We're talking about self-autonomy. Meaning, and, and that um, self-autonomy comes from two Greek words that means basically self-law. You are a law unto yourself. So how this works itself out in, in how people live is their preferences and their feelings are above truth now. Doesn't matter if there's definitive truth. Doesn't matter if you claim definitive truth. It's about my preferences, my feelings, and therefore out of that, I make my truth, and that's my truth. Now, the problem is, if we all have our own truth, and, and we, somehow we claim in our society that this will eliminate conflict. Think about that. We're all going to have our own truth, but somehow this is going to eliminate conflict. And so, really what we're living in now is a culture where there's no boundaries, I can say what I want, I can be what I want, when I want, 
how I want, we're all autonomous. Really what it is is we're all walking around living like we're all mini demigods. Get out of my way. This is my truth. Now think about this. When we talk about idols today, perhaps we also need to consider what cultural ideologies have become idols all around us and what cultural ideologies are being worshipped all around us. And then it begs the question, what ideologies and beliefs am I tied to? How do they shape my outlook on life? How do they put my comfort and my security as the highest ideal? How does that hinder the working of the Holy Spirit in my life? How much self-autonomy is actually operating in me while I claim to follow Jesus, but really I want it to be about what I want? And, and then the question goes, how can those two coexist when the call of Jesus is to come and die and to, and to lay yourself down and, and live for him? How does self-autonomy coexist? What cultural ideologies do we need to flee from and resist today? Th- that spurs a whole lot of questions, right, to go away with and to think about. All right, number two. We live for God's glory by self-reducing or becoming selfless, less of self. Paul says there in verse 33, not seeking my own advantage. So we live for God's glory by letting go of self. John the Baptist, he said it so perfectly in John 3.30. He said, what did he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. I always get that wrong. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you make that the focus of your life, basically more of Jesus, less of me, that alone, more of Jesus, less of me, that will transform you. That will change your life. What what we see in Corinthians over and over again is this truth. We must reduce self in our lives. That is totally the opposite direction of culture. Culture says, no, 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 no. Now, and, and th- this thing of, of it's all about me, it's always been there, but I think technology, algorithms, lots of other factors, it's pervasive now. It's perva- everywhere you turn because everything you get is curated for you, for you. Your social media is curated for you based on algorithms. You get what you want. So it's like I heard someone saying this the other day. It's like everyone, if, remember when we used, all used to get the newspaper on our door? Well, now everyone down a street, we're all getting a different newspaper. There's 50 different newspapers going out. We're all getting our own truth. The, the, the Corinthians, their, their cry of the day, and Paul mentions it again here twice in verse 23. All things are lawful for me. That was, the, that, was their, that was their cry. All things, I can do whatever I want. And verse 24, it gives us a hint of how it manifested in them. It focused on each one seeking his own good. It was about me, myself, and I. Sounds pretty similar. Now, why wouldn't we seek our own good? That, that's probably the, the question that comes up. 
Sounds logical, right? Survival of the fittest. This is embedded in our society. It's do the best that you can. Jesus calls us, though, to follow him. And he says, true life isn't found in yourself. It's found in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You aren't the way. You aren't the truth. And you don't find life in yourself. You find it in me. So dying, we die to self. Why? Why why would you ever want to die to self? Why? So you can live in the resurrection power of Jesus. Why? So you can live for others. And so this is where Paul, again, in verses 25 to 30, he, he highlights the issues, again, of meat offered to idols. And, and again, there's these parties that were full of meat that were happening. And they were, it was all being offered to idols. And, and really, the question that's coming down for the Corinthians is, how do you live in a culture full of idol worship? That, that was what the Corinthians were trying to, to discern. How do I live in a culture full of idol worship? How do you live in Canada in the 21st century in a culture that is it's just idol worship is pervasive? I think there's some really great truth here for us. Verse 26. So I want to make sure I have the right verse. Yes. Verse 26. Remember who owns the earth. Remember that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Be conscious of others who need Jesus. How is your witness? Because information brings responsibility. When you have information about people's lives and where they're at, that actually brings responsibility on you as a follower of Jesus. How will I live before them? Enjoy life with a passion for God's glory. Enjoy life. That's how we do it. Enjoy, you can enjoy life, but you have a passion for God's glory. And I guarantee you, that will be a life full of life. Have freedom with boundaries. It's another way. Paul says, look, all things are lawful. Yeah, but, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. So what he's saying is, okay, Corinthians... What builds up? What is helpful for your life in Christ? What helps you to give glory to God in your life? Pursue that. Freedom with boundaries. And then, and then the last one is really simple for us. It's avoid sinful behavior. Just work at not having sinful behavior active and present in your life. All right, we're going to wrap up here with last one. Live for God's glory by imitating Christ. So being others-focused, reduction of self, it's, it's a call to imitate Jesus. That's what it's about. Willingly gave himself up for us. He emptied himself, humbled himself. Think like this about yourself. Live like Jesus. So 11, 11 verse 1 there, it's really a culmination of what Paul's been unpacking in, in chapter 10 and, and even prior. And what he, what he comes down to is, be like Jesus. This is, this is total and utter allegiance to Jesus. It's seeking to know him. It's seeking to become like him. That is the direction. That's to be the trajectory, the aim of our lives. 
It is a call to live radically different in the, than the world around us. It might be a call to even live radically different than a lot of other Christians around you, if I can say that. It is going to be a call to live, to do all for the glory of God, to imitate Christ is a high calling. That is the call of the church. It's the call to follow the way of Jesus as shown in Scripture. It's interesting the, where Paul in verse 7, he makes the, that statement, he, he references the Old Testament, where during the whole golden calf episode, it says the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. I think Paul was highlighting that text for the Corinthians to confront them that they had a similar outlook on life. You just want to eat, drink, rise up to play, do your own thing, live a life of pleasure. That, that defines so much of our culture, folks. Like, if, if you just start to put yourself in our culture and you begin, just, just open your eyes and open your ears and think about that. The people rose up to eat, to drink, and to play. So we, we are, we're in a culture that is living for the moment, enjoy life, consumed by the things of this earth. Would you agree? It's easy to get into that trap. It is very easy to get into the trap that you live for the things of today, you live for the things of this earth, you live for the stuff you can buy, the trips you can take, yada, 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 yada. The kingdom of heaven calls you to a radically different perspective. Yeah, I'm going to avoid, avoid treating faith like a subway, or for those of you that like freshy, like one of those, where you go and you're treating your Christian life like I'm picking and choosing what I want. I like this, I like that, I don't like that, I don't really like that, I want more of that. That's, that's a real danger in our culture. Our call is not to cultural Christianity. It, that is not the call of the church. And I do think that we are in days where that's becoming very, very apparent, the choices that we have to make, whether we're going to live culturally Christian or whether we're going to follow the way of Jesus, which is radically different. Our invita your invitation is to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to know you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you into his likeness. And he wants to set you free. So the highest ideal that we're called to live to in all things. Nothing is excluded. There's, there's no part exempt there's no room in your house that this is for me and this isn't for God. No, nothing is exempt. The highest ideal that we're called to live to is for God's glory. Making much of Jesus, living for his praise, living for his honor, living for his fame. And we will experience fullness of joy in that Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. It's true. It is, it's true. That's the, that, is, that is the promise 
of God for us. As we pursue this. And this pursuit, it takes intention, it takes thought, it takes commitment, and it takes evaluation of our lives. And so I want to, Jen, I'll call you up. As, as Jen plays and as we, um, as we end, I want to I put up three questions for us. The reason I do this is it is so, so important. And this is for me too. This is, this is as much for me. As I'm going through week to week preparing messages and I'm looking through the text, what's so, so important for me, what's so, so important for us is that we don't just hear all this and go, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good and then we don't apply it. It is so, so important that we leave time for how can I apply this to my life? So I wanna, I wanna put forth some questions for us of how do we apply this to our lives this morning. Number one, are there idols, ideologies present in my life that are keeping me from doing all things for the glory of God? What needs to change? Number two, how do I see living for others in relation to living for myself? Is the gospel touching these viewpoints in my life? And number three, how am I doing in imitating Jesus in my life? What can I do to pursue growth in this regard? And I'll leave that with you to put before the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Application of his word is, is so, 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 so important for us. So let's do that, and then as Jen plays, as you feel led, let's, let's worship to close.